Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast, powered by Go Tennis. Check out our calendar of Metro Atlanta tennis events at letsgotennis.com, where you can also find deals on equipment, apparel, and members get 10% off our shop. So go get yourself an Atlanta Tennis Monsters shirt, or even the Daniel Medvedev Lacoste shoes at 25% off for paid members. In this episode, we talk to Dave Matthews. And full disclosure, Dave was my academy coach back in the early 90s when I was preparing to play in college, so we've known each other quite a while. Dave is in the Georgia Tennis Hall of Fame and has run the Dave Matthews Tennis Academy since the mid-80s. Dave is a USTA junior tournament official and has a heartwarming story to get us started about a parent interaction which could have ended up in a very dangerous situation. Have a listen and let us know what you think. I will say hello. I am Sean Boyce with Go Tennis and the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. I'm here as always, or as usually, with Bobby Schindler. Today we have Dave Matthews. And as anybody asks, no, not that Dave Matthews, the actual Dave Matthews uh, of Dave Matthews Tennis Academy. And I will start with full disclosure. Dave has known me since I was about full 14, 15, when... Uh, when yep. do you think it was that I joined your academy in 19? Yeah, no, yeah, it's about 14, 15, somewhere along in there. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was there with a few other guys we still know in town. So the Dave Matthews Tennis Academy has been around quite a while. So you've got some experience with running an academy, getting some kids like me. It's, uh, it's actually a testament to your coaching that someone wanted me to play on their college tennis team. So that definitely says a lot. Uh, but I want to start because you're also a USTA official, and that's one of the things we haven't talked about on the podcast I, at all at this point. We've been doing this a uh, few years now, and we haven't had any questions that lead to, oh, my gosh, that guy might be going to get a gun. So jumping right in, you have a story. I have it on good authority that you have a story where you're pretty sure it got bad enough at a USTA. Let me point this out children's sporting event that you think things were going to escalate i have got to hear this story uh yeah it was a junior junior tennis tournament you know like we like i've taken you to and all the academy kids to and uh you know generally i'll take you know uh back in the old days i would take kids there in a van and things like that now uh with uh you know lawsuits and all that you kind of avoid that you show up and you find the kids there and watch them play and uh you know and that's that's as good as you can do right now so uh yeah i'm now a usca official uh i officiate the tournaments that uh we help run up at the facility i work at um and uh me and another gentleman who is also a usda not only official but he also um operates you know does the draws and all that in the background before the tournament ever starts uh so he's about as qualified as you can get uh i bring more of the player standpoint into it being an ex-player and coach and all that so between us both we've pretty much seen about everything you can see and uh 
there was this one tournament. It was it was several years ago. Thank goodness it's kind of hopefully you know gotten out of the way. But uh, we're sitting there, and we the canopy we sit under um, is up on the hill, so we can see all twelve courts. Uh, we time all the warm ups and everything. Everybody gets uh, you know we know it's a five minute warm up, but we sometimes if, depending on draws and stuff, give them a little more time. And so there's this one court right there next to really next to where we are. Uh, and I look up and, uh, you know, the sad, the bad part about that court is that there are some canopies with picnic tables right there beside it. And, uh, you know, some of the parents will sit over there up under the canopies and, you know, when the kids on the other end, uh, you know, they'll chit chat to them and things like that, which is a no, no, we don't want any interference. We want to, we would rather the kids get us and we tell them right there at the check-in desk, which is right next door to us. If you have a problem, you know, here's two officials in blue USDA official, you know, shirts, uh, come and get us. We'll come and help you settle it. We would rather do that and let the kids learn how to deal with each other and settle it on their own than to, you know, have outside interferences and then parents getting into it and things like that. So. This parent, you know, had been chit-chatting a little bit. And, you know, we'll, we'll you know, sometimes we can't uh, decipher between what is somebody saying, oh, great shot or clapping and things like that. So, you know, we're not trying to listen to your every word, but this one kind of escalated a little bit. And, uh, you know, we can kind of see when other parents are getting a little irritated by the infection or injection of another parent. Uh, and it was kind of getting a little... Uh, you know, it, it, it was about time to stop it. So, you know, I stood up and took about four or five steps toward the canopies, which then at that point in time were only about 10 feet away. And I said, you know, excuse me, sir, you know, please back away from the fence. You don't need to be talking to your son while he's playing, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, if the kids have a problem, tell them to come get me. And he looked at me and, uh, I mean, literally was, uh, went from, I'm sure he's went, completely apologetic. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, no? Went, no. Went to, went from zero to 60 in about 0.2 seconds. Oh, no. And he looked at me and, you know, they've got this, it's kind of interesting to watch society now because they don't go into an, a, I don't want to say an apologetic mode, but, you know, at least I didn't know, you know, something like that. Uh, it, it's like a defensive mode now. It's like, oh, you're going to blame me and, you know, is it, is there any economic or racial or anything they can pull on to get in my face? And that's exactly where he went. And the gentleman, you know, the other official was right behind me. And, uh, cause you know, we kind of, we've been doing this long enough to where we, we can see a situation and it, if it doesn't look good, we both are coming. And, you know, he's about five seconds, you know, five steps behind me. And, uh, the gentleman just looked at me and he came up and got, you know, tried to get in my face. You know, luckily, you know, like most people, they're a little bit shorter, which is okay. But, uh, you know, they, I think some people are, I don't want to say intimidated, but I am what I am. And, you know, my voice carries and you know that as well as anybody. And uh, well, for the listeners, sorry to interrupt for the listeners, you're about 6'6". Six, six. Is that, I mean, you're. Is that about six, five, six, six? Yeah. Six, yeah. Six, five, six, six. You know, so you walk up even as pleasant as you can possibly be. 
you're yeah. still an intimidating presence. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I, I just am what I am, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, we get over there, and this gentleman just kept going back at me. And I just said, sir, you know, if we can't calm you down, because the kids now are trying, they're disrupted. There's five court five, six, seven, and eight. Probably two or three of those are disrupted. And we're just basically trying to say, sir, let's just go over here under the tent and get you away from the court. Let the kids keep playing. My partner can take care of the kids and get them started back. And, you know, we've only got 100 matches to play on 12 courts, which is, if you ain't, you know, that's easy math, 10 blocks of, you know, 12 courts at a time. You, you're there for 12, 14 hours. So we're trying to keep our day rolling along. Uh -huh. And so, he just looked at us and he goes, uh, well, you know, if you keep this up, you know, I, I think I'm just going to have to go to my car. And I'm looking at him like, and well, you're going to drive away or I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm from the street. I, I know what happens when that happens. And I looked at my partner, <laughs> my partner's looking at me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I never heard that one before. And I just looked at, at my partner and he was like, let's just let him leave and we'll call the, the city uh, police or the, you know, the marshal, the marshal that comes through this area and just tell him, you know, we may have a little bit of a situation, just be on guard. La, 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 la. Well, luckily, you know, we tell the parents, listen, we, we want you to stay, but if you're going to keep disrupting the match, we got to get you out of here. Whether you go sit in the car, turn on the AC, fine. Or if you leave and come back, uh, you know, you got cell phones and stuff. You can call your kid, tell them you're coming to pick them up. Or they can call you, say, come pick me up. I'm done. But you got to let the matches continue. And, uh, you know, at that point, this gentleman was really in my face. And I was, you know, everybody around was going, wow, this dude has lost his mind. And it it it, it shocked me. It, Sean, I mean, I, it, it just shocked me to think, the parents that of the kids like you guys, when you came through, my parents would never show up and say, they knew that if Sean Boyce got in trouble, Dave, if Dave was there, Dave was going to make sure he has a level playing field and everything else takes care of itself. But in this day and time, it's like the kids, the parents won't let the kids play and learn how to get along with each other and, and get, you know, solve your problems. You know, tennis is like now not even the main four, you know, not the main thing on the table. So. So, yeah, Bobby, I'm sure you're completely shocked by this parent behavior. I, I want to know his name. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm got a few guesses. <laughs> We're all sure we met this guy, right? <laughs> well, and the sad part is, you know, I would like to think, uh, sadly, it don't happen. You would think that a, a governing body, whether it's USTA, UTR, whatever, these people need to be up there going, okay, we got a list of people that are problematic. If it continues to happen, they got to get gone. You're going to ruin a good game, a good program, whoever's it is, it doesn't matter. These people, and they will ruin it in a heartbeat to think their kid is innocent. And, you know, you know what happens to kids that are led to do, you know, our parents that do this, you get the same thing coming up as a, a younger adult later. And that's, that's a whole nother game I don't want to see. That's an interesting thought. So as a USTA official, do you think that's something the USTA could, could do is create kind of a, a list where you can walk out? I don't know, soccer, you know, with your yellow card and your red card. But I assume you have the 
authority to remove someone from a tournament premises, but it would be interesting to have an ongoing list where parents at some point say, hey, you know what, little Johnny, love to have you at your tournament, by the way, but your father's not allowed here or your mother's, that is, you think that's possibly able to be created or a good it, thing? You know, no? it, it, it kind of is going to, looks like it's going to have to happen, uh, you know, because society ain't getting better. You know, uh, there's a several areas of our, our lively, not livelihoods, but uh, just several areas of life itself where it's gotten to be the, the wild, wild west. It's almost like, you know, you drive a bigger car, you can get away with everything, but you can't. And you shouldn't be able to. You should be adhering to the laws of the road so that everybody gets safer. But it don't get that. It ain't that way. It's gotten out of control. And this is the same thing. People are getting away with it. And nobody wants to step up and say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're bad for the program. You need to go find something else because we ain't letting you in. But people are so scared that those people are going to start hollering that they let them get away with it. And to me, that's wrong. You're letting the good people get badly affected by the bad people. And there's a, mi a minority of them out there, but when they start, they, they, you know, what's the old cliche now is, if you holler louder, you get more attention and you get away with more. That's bull crap. You know, I, I'm almost to the point now where I think looking at your entourage, you know, I've watched US Open and all these people are, turning it ah, like that. I'm like, I never did that. I turned around, understood there's another point to go. Let's get over there and let's keep the trend going. I don't want to ruffle your feathers by doing that. I don't want to let you know I'm not happy if I don't do it. I want to keep coming at you 110% every point to win every point. And if I use that energy, that's energy I could have used to run down an extra ball or two a few points later because it does. It adds up. I see these guys. I'm sitting here watching Isner and Mo right now on, on my TV up here in my office, and I see them doing that like every point. I'm like, good God, your emotions have just got to be spent. And in a three out of five set match, I don't know if I got that much energy. You know, yeah, staying staying positive is one thing, but that that whole I have to be overly energetic and. I don't coach at the ATP level, so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I've got my thoughts on could be a waste of energy, but I like that positivity. I wonder at some point, though, from a tennis point of view and the kids, we end up punishing the kids because your dad's a jerk. And I, and I use, I guess, dad. Maybe it's more often than not the males because 80% is probably, probably how that usually plays out psychologically as to who that is. But I appreciate you starting with that because I know we haven't talked much USTA tournament-wise, and now I want to go back. So I want to take a step back. Can you tell the listeners, tell everybody who you are? You started, if I have my numbers right, you started Dave Matthews Tennis Academy in mid to late 80s, 87, somewhere around there, which means you met me in 90-something. Uh, and uh, in that case, you were also a player. You're in the Hall of Fame somewhere. Give us a little bit of, of who is Dave Matthews. I like that somewhere. Uh, somewhere. Uh, yeah, I started the junior, my junior tennis academy. Actually, I started it in Denver, Colorado, where I, where I lived at the time. Uh, I worked at a uh, nice little club there. Um, you know, had about 15 kids, traveled around to the Intermountain Region tournaments and stuff like that. Um, my my oldest player that I have right now is, God, he's got to be getting near 50. That's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, I was 20 five or six 
and he was 14. So yeah, I'm only 10, 11 years older than him. So he lives in Phoenix, Arizona, but uh, then I moved to Atlanta in 86, started the DMTA, which is that logo right there. Um, started that in 89 and then, you know, got, uh, you know, you, John, Jeffrey, Danny, a whole bunch of them came in there over at uh, Circle Stone and then at Hidden Hills. Uh, and that, so basically then while that was happening, I was also playing uh, national, international events. Uh, played, started playing nationals when I came off the satellite circuit in 89, started the 30 and over division in seniors um, and won, I don't know, half a dozen or a dozen or so, a little bit less than a dozen national titles. Uh, represented the USA a couple of times on the you know day, uh, senior Davis Cup teams. Did win a world title in uh, South Africa in 05. Um, so, you know, met uh, my friend Guy Fritz, whose son is doing pretty good right now on the Pro Tour. That's right. Uh, we first heard about Taylor Fritz from you because you had the oh, friend yeah. who had a kid who was supposedly pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good, yeah. Uh, he's actually now in the third round of the Open now, so he's doing yeah. pretty good. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, the sum of the nutshell. I, I did get inducted into the Georgia Tennis Hall of Fame in 13, um, and that was an honor. Uh, you know, they represented all of my kids and my the family, DMTA family, you know, because no matter who was hitting with me or whatever, everybody had part of it. You know, it, was, it wasn't just me. Uh, that was... That's that's such a facade. You know, there's so many parts to that puzzle. It's crazy. But, uh, you know, I'm very thankful. And luckily, a little bit of my talent and hard work, you know, with all the belief and from all my players and stuff. And and hopefully I trans, transform some of that into some of y'all. You know, you're doing pretty darn well and working hard, got a good family. And that's what life's about. It really is. And that was one of the things you you talked about a lot when I was a kid. And it sounds like you're you're the same way where you say you get to know the kids inside and out and you really say hey look maybe i'm not the greatest tennis coach in the world i don't know who is but i'm as good as i can possibly be and in that case if you like what i have to offer it's more than just the tennis i my mother still quotes you from when i was a kid and it's just things that, things that stick with you and i i as a coach and I, and I know bobby's cognizant of how he speaks to to kids as well when it's adults you can kind of loosen up a little sure. bit but when we when we talk to kids, we're cognizant of how we speak to them and and the things that we say. I remember being a young coach and kind of a little more off the cuff and a little more I can say whatever I want as opposed to realizing how much we affect these kids and Absolutely. the things. So many of our rules, my my family life rules we have are worded the way they are so they can scale. I want to be able to follow the same rules or most of the same rules as the five-year-old that we talk to and say, hey, here's, here's rule number one. I follow the same rule as opposed to having different rules for kids and, and, and adults. But being, right. that, being that role model makes a huge difference. And that's hard to do over 30, 35 years and stay consistent. So I, I, didn't, I don't mean to downplay and say Hall of Fame somewhere. I know you've got Alabama ties and oh, yeah. Colorado ties. So I've I, I went through and checked it all out, but I wasn't sure how many of those you have. I didn't know you won a world title. That's really cool. That was uh, a very, very, uh, you know, I knew those guys for, I, like I said, I've been playing on the senior tour for 15 years. 
uh, Mike Federley, Val Wilder, who's in Dallas, and Federley's in Palm Springs, uh, and Egan Adams, who's in Florida. We were the, the four that got selected to go um, and went down to South Africa. Uh, it was a great trip, took my whole family and just had a blast uh, and won, won the world title, the world team title down there. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an awesome, awesome feeling to represent the U.S., and it was a very good trip for culture reasons to experience that. We did get to go on a half-day safari. Uh, it's kind of neat. The uh, trophy that we got is not that big, but it's a glass and, and etched in the back of the glass are the big five animals, you know, the rhinoceros. Wow. The, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. That's so, cool. you know, people, people look at my national titles, and then they see that little glass thing, and they're like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, that's my world title. And look in the glass, and they're like, oh, my God, that's the elephant and the rhinoceros and the lot. I'm like, yeah, the big five. And it's how that's, it's very uh, unique trophy, but uh, it, it definitely my highest, you know, honor for sure. That's a that's a cool story. And it reminds me of how good of a player you you were in my memory, even as as a kid thinking I was good and just being tortured by you as though I was nothing. And <laughs> I have I have to play against seven year olds to feel that good. So you being oh, able I don't to do know. That to upcoming upcoming college players is is a nice feature to be able to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're you're pretty good. All right. Watch this. All right. Go run that down. Be able to. torture. Right. I remember all yeah. that. Uh, but I, it makes me wonder now, because like I said in, in the, the pre-stream, that I don't know if you and Bobby had ever been in the same room at the same time. I'm sure Bobby's brain, Bobby, your brain's got to be running if you, have got, if you guys know any of the same people. Well, my, my first question, Dave, and, and you can pass on this one, but do you take responsibility for Sean's forehand? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to take responsibility for his two-handed backhand because he's got a pretty dang good That's one. That's not the question I asked. <laughs> you notice how I scooted on by that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean, Sean, Sean had, had a good game, and we knew we knew what to exploit and what to stay away from. And that was that was the beauty of coaching and, and having kids. And that, that group that I had back then, you're talking about some – very acute listeners, man, they were, they were on everything that I said and they, you know, most of them learned very well and went on to play some pretty good tennis. And I was very proud of them all. Well, I mean, you, you look at that age group, Sean, you're close to Ricky Bowers, right? Did you ever play Ricky or? I feel like it, I should know that name. I can't play. Well, his dad is a, he, he would have been one of the ones that you might've met up with later in life because his dad is a big corporate developer. But Ricky sure played Spencer Reed. They're probably all just a little older than you. Freilich, Jonathan Freilich's a little bit older. But you know, you were in a pretty hot bed for a Georgia tennis during that time, that, that time period. Well, yeah, we were losing to the 10-year-olds in John Williams. I mean, the problem is we were 16 <laughs> getting, getting smoked by the 10-year-olds. So we knew we weren't going too far in tennis. Yeah. Well, that, I, I do know that feeling. I always used to say I didn't need to play tournaments. I was 17th in my club, so I didn't need to go out to lose any place. I was quite easily losing right where, right at home, so I didn't have to travel. Now, Dave, I, I am surprised. I'm like, especially you're over in the neck of the woods. Do you ever know Dennis Horde? Dennis Horde? No, I don't. Not off, my, not off the top of my head, no. Because Dennis, he's a little older than you, but he was kind of like my mentor, and he was over at Swanee Station, Old Town in Duluth. He was brought down by Ralston Gorman back right. in the early 90s to run their academy behind Lenox Park. Yep. And that's how I got in back into tennis, meeting him and Billy Pate got me back going. And uh, 
but you know, you, you two uh, outside of the accent, which I knew you weren't from Colorado. So no. I was I, I was leaning toward Alabama Georgia Hall of Fame just from the way you sounded. But uh, yeah. yeah, just curious who, who you run up. And I think we've met. I'm looking, but I'll tell you what, you look like my father-in-law. You look like Stuart Russell. I think we get to a certain age where we all tall, start looking alike. Wear the glasses, we all start looking alike. I'm, I'm 58 <laughs> and I are about to turn 58 and I got Stuart Russell by two weeks. So he's right around our age. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit older than that, but you know, not, not too much. Thank, thank goodness. But uh, yeah, I know Billy Pay. He, he where is he? He went worked at Notre Dame for a little while. Or he Notre it? Dame went to Alabama. Now he's at Princeton. That's what I thought. Yep, yep, yep. I keep yeah, I see went, him on Facebook every now and then. Yeah, we went to grad school together, and he's he's oh, he's yeah. the person that got me back into tennis. So like I said, there's not many people you can point to and say he changed my life. He changed my life. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and you remind me of my old coach was King Van Ostrand. I don't know if you ever met King in your travels, but he was the same way. Now, again, a lot older, but he's been literally like number two in the country since he was in the 40s. And yep, yep. His, his son was John, who Mary Carrillo speaks of, and his daughter right. Molly played and made it to quarterfinals of Wimbledon. Great player, one of the first two-handers on both sides, but she just right. had a lot of – but same thing. Love, and he's probably – he's still alive, God bless him, and he's 90s, and I still think he's playing tournaments. And uh, that wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Him and, and Hugh, not, he's, he's, him and Hugh Thompson. They're the only two guys left. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you and his white, all whites. Yep. I played you a couple, I played you a couple of times. He's a few years older than me, but we yep. played back when they did the K-Swiss thing. Um, and me and Hugh played right over at, at the old Olympic tennis center uh, a couple of times. First time they put us out on that center court. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a great novelty. And then we go out there, and after about two games, I looked at Hugh, and I went, I don't know, homie. I, I think I hate this court. And he goes, why? I said, because if I put the ball on the back wall, it's about 60 feet to the back wall. It's only 39 feet to the net. And he goes, yeah, you got that right, mate. And I said, yeah, I'm going to put the ball, put this extra ball in the net. We, one of, either one of us can get it. He started <laughs> laughing. So the next year, we played in the finals again, and they said, oh, we're going to put you on the center court. I said, no, you're not. And he went, no, you're not. We're going over here right behind the right behind the pro shop. We're going to play right here on this sunken court, and this will be fine. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just the funniest thing. But, hey, you know, we, we were just trying to make a match simple, you know. We are – we Bobby, I, I was curious. You guys know each other as well, but you're running – you're running some kids, less of an academy, Bobby, and you're not, you're not sending kids to college out of your academy in the same way because you're more in the high school target, right? And Bobby, you're at the, in the Forsyth, Forsyth area. I think Dave's more Buford. I think the park you referred to earlier might've been Buford City Park, if I have that yeah. pictured yeah. in my head. So yep. I think Dave, you're over uh, closer to me, but even back in the day when Bobby was, uh, Bobby was in that area being around, you mentioned Dennis Horde, Bobby you were still out in the white columns area. So you weren't even over near us anyway. So I don't know how often you guys would have run into each other. Right. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't come over to this side until about, what, 10 years ago. It was 2013 when we started. We came over. And like I said, I, I don't want to say with who because I'm, I have a strong feeling it might be the, the father of the problem child. But uh, <laughs> he, he, he's heavily involved in tennis and had a, a daughter who was very successful. But uh, yeah, we came over. We're close. I mean, as far west as we are, far east, we're real close. We we borderline Buford. But yeah, we have a little bit different. We tried. We did a little high performance. I just didn't have the 
the patience for the parents. And it's unfortunate. And, 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 and one thing I wanted to ask about, because you brought up a good, you know, the way we speak and, you know, and I find, and, and going back to what you said earlier as well, Dave, about we have to be so careful that, you know, Sean, I don't get light around the parents very often. If they see me on the court, they'll get my sarcasm. But when, you know, we have a conversation, it's, you know, they're going to get my good vocabulary. They're going to find out I have a master's degree and they're going to find out that, you, you know, we'll have an adult. And that's what your kids are going to get, because I want them to see what they're getting, because it is so hard. I mean, we live in, you know, ESPN is, is crippled sports. And, and we I always laugh about what you said as well, Dave. You know, the idea that tennis can be, you know, you can't come out of the locker room and win the first quarter and win a tennis match. You can in I, football. You can win the first quarter and hold on. Tennis, you'll be dead, especially in a three out of five set match. So the, the, this whole right. idea, and you wonder, and nobody talks about it because it's it's taboo. What is the long term effect? When did you? When did we ever have mental health issues when we were playing? We had never. We, we just didn't tell anybody. Well, <laughs> But I don't think we needed the, the constant affirmation. No. You know, we knew we lost. Like I said, so, you know, people talk about when you, you know, my last match, I lost. But you know what? It was a heck of a journey. I was trying to come back because I didn't play. And, you know, I, I did everything I could. And, you know, I put the racket down and felt good about it. It wasn't right. some, I was angry. You know, I somebody beat, somebody beat me who deserved to beat me. But I had done a lot to get to that spot. And I was proud of myself. And it was the work that I would use future, you know, further in my life. Today, right. I, I just, I agree with you. I just, I get so nervous when I see these kids all pumped up. I'm like, guys, it's a point. You just yep. won a point. A you can lose go. more points in tennis and win the match. Don't get right. preoccupied about a point. That's right. Yeah. They, yeah, they, it's that, it's that constant immediate gratification. And I'm, I tell my kids all the time, even some of uh, my, you know, intermediate kids, I say, listen, you know, if we're in a group of six or eight kids and you hear me tell somebody good shot, good stroke, things like that, you, you know, if you don't hear me say that to you, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I've given you some direction and I'm waiting on you to tap into that and head in that direction. And when you do that, I'll tell you good shot, but keep working at it. And because I don't tell somebody great shot too often because great shots, you know, I don't use that phrase for somebody who hits a, you know, beginner stroke. I'll just say, Hey, good shot. Keep going. You know, work at it. Work at it. But they want somebody to say, oh, great shot because it's an ESPN moment. I'm like, oh, no, you ain't getting that one. You know, but that's where we are, kind of the same thing, you know. Yeah, and, I, and unfortunately, I do feel like it permeates into they're all filled with a bunch of trigger words. And it's like, guys, you're reading the wrong, wrong <laughs> subtitles, man. <laughs> Stay away. You're not making your life. Like you said, I try to make my kids. My father was great. He gave me two choices. Gave me the feeling that I had a choice, that I was making a decision, even though he controlled all the variables. It's kind of what you try to do as a coach with your kids when you have them. Yeah, you might think you have a choice here, but I'm controlling all the variables that go into that choice. So and, and, and relish that because, guys, this is as easy as life gets. <laughs> you got it. That's exactly like, right. like I said earlier about the the children's sporting event. Guys, yep. this is kids playing a game. And if you're threatening to go to your car because you're angry enough to decide you need to be armed, yes, we're in Georgia, I get it, okay? That's, yep. not, that's not what I'm talking about. This is just a children's sporting event 
when the official asks you to politely to come sit down, just do it. It's not that hard. We're yeah. all here for the kids. And that's one of the things we do with Go Tennis and with the podcast, Dave, is we're here for the kids. We're here for the players. And sure. one of the things we want to do is help everybody with that. And with you coming out saying, hey, guys, maybe we need to make some changes. Is the change really that we need to start blacklisting parents? Is it getting that bad? Is it, I mean, in a soccer game, you can yell and scream and yell at your kid, kick that guy in the ass. Like, we, you, can, you can do that, and the other parents are going to look at you funny, but nobody's going to ask you to back away from the sideline because right. what? What's the difference in tennis that we, can't, we can hardly clap anymore? What's going on there? Well, I think, you know, I, 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 and I, was, I talked about this, you know, the other day is that, you know, you have to be careful that, you know, what I loved about the game of tennis growing up playing football, baseball, basketball, and then I picked up tennis. And there were no lessons where I was at. I just, my mom wanted some exercise. We went out and bopped the ball around. You know, how everybody does when you first start. And after about six months, because I was a decent athlete because of all the other sports, uh, she looked at me and went, you need to go find some kids to play with because you're just too fast. You're getting just too many balls, and I ain't got that kind of exercise. And so I said, okay, no problem. And I was still hit with her. But I think the thing that I loved about the game of tennis is that if me and Sean are playing, it's me, my game, my strokes at that moment against what Sean has to offer. And I got to figure those, those problems out. And I don't need to worry about other outside interferences like coaching and all that stuff because that's what tennis doesn't bring to the table. It's, that's the beauty of the game of the sport of tennis. And I'm afraid, you know, we, I, I, I laugh now because, you know, your coaching is supposed to be when you're on that side of the court. Oh, give me a break. They're hollering 400 yards away. Hey, go to the net. I don't know. I mean, you know, different languages. You know, here we go again. You give people a little bit of a, a little root wiggle room to coach now because we think it's better. Now we're going to just take it and you can be anywhere in the stadium and haul. Well, that then the fans think they can do that too. Well, now you got people hollering when they throwing a ball up to serve. And they, that's why I got into tennis was because I could actually concentrate on me, Sean, our strokes, what we got to do to get a win. Now I got to block out everybody else that's in the room too. And you did that anyway, but it's getting harder because we're letting more people holler, which is symptomatic of other sports, not what the gentleman's game was about. You know, so in that case, it's we've been doing this for thousands of years and therefore we should keep doing it. Or do we need to make the switch from the the generation before to what Tiafo says? I'll just use him as an example. Most recently, sure. says, let the people walk like a basketball game. Let the people walk around. Let them scream. If you can't handle it, go into your crying closet and, and you know, have your space, have your safe space. But out here, we need to have it a little, a little less mono mono and a little more yelling and screaming. And he wants that interaction. But then I just think back to Happy Gilmore and go, okay, are you really just screwing up the sport or are we just old for worrying about the evolution into the next thing? I don't have a problem with the evolution into the next thing. Like I said, I, I don't think everybody is meant to play tennis. You know, you get all these other you know, people, all these organizations trying to get more people to play tennis. And what I, what, what you, you want to look, you want to, you, you can check this when you leave. Go look and see how many senior tournaments you see now. 
what's happened, and I told this guy, he was on the uh, committee for senior tournaments. This has got to be 50 or probably 25 years ago when I was in the 90s and I was playing my national tournaments. I was ranked one or two or three in the nation in my you know age category, the 30s. And my sponsor wanted me to play a local tournament in Marietta, over on the other side of Marietta. I lived over in Lithonia. So that's an hour and 20-minute drive, easy, with no traffic. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to walk over there, probably lose four games the whole tournament, three rounds. I'll probably be seated, no problem, la, la, la. I did. And I talked to the guy, the second round per, a person I had, and I said, why is it we got to play one match a day. I'm in the 30s division. I'm not I'm not 50 or 60. I'm in the 30s. Why are we playing one match a day? Well, people people can't play two matches a day. And I said, go play something else. <laughs> if you tell me a competitor that I need to play, if we got a 16 draw and I'm going to play one match on Friday night, two matches Saturday and the finals on Sunday, I will get prepared to play that. Now, if I decide I want to enter more events, if there's doubles and things like that, that's my choice. I'm not going to get in the way of somebody else that doesn't want to do it by, you know, making them conform to me. I want to play, if I play singles only, this is what I want to do, and I don't mind playing two a day. But don't make me take off work two days, and that's what I had to do. Monday, Tuesday, it was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday tournament. I got a buy on Saturday. I played one match Sunday, won it in like 40 minutes. I drove two and a half hours to play a 35-minute match. And all of a sudden, from that year, that, that year, back then, we were having a senior tournament somewhere in the state of Georgia every weekend from literally probably third weekend in March. Those tournaments in March would be down like in Savannah, uh, South Georgia, things like that for weather. And then in April, they would start everywhere. I mean, it was crazy. You could find a senior tournament usually with uh, – uh, I'd say at least uh, 12 to 16 or sometimes even a 32 draw. And you could find one every weekend all the way through probably the end of October. I looked last year in Georgia. I think there were 10 senior tournaments the whole year. I found one in May this year. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not what saying is I did an exhaustive search, but I'm with you that there aren't that many. Because what's happened is they're running the people out because they can't take oh, off work. Nobody wants to play you. Well, we're going to play you. I'm we got you either. and Hugh Thompson. Nobody wants to play you guys. <laughs> sure they do. We have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, you know, the, that's the saddest part is we've literally eliminated the senior event in lieu of what? Pickleball. And now we're, well, and, and I'm sure pickleball has a draw to that. And not, but that's, so what, so did we miss that boat? You know, did we create that by eliminating senior tournament? Uh, you know, you're gonna, you're not gonna stop some of the people because pickleball it's on fire, but it's gonna moderate just like everything does, stock market and everything. But where do senior tournaments go? Because I remember when I played the 30 national grass courts in Santa Barbara one year, the tournament director was like 85 years old, Van Zerby was his name, and. We're sitting there one day at a one rain delay we had in like four years. And uh, I looked at Mrs. Irby and he, I told him how to fix it. You know, I said, I'm from Atlanta. We, we have rain delays all the time. We just scheduled it. He's like, oh, my God, that's awesome. So I said, Mrs. Irby, you still playing tournaments? He goes, yeah. He goes, I think I'm going to win one next year. I said, why is that? He goes, because I think my biggest competitors 
gonna pass away. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you kidding me? He goes, hey, if you can outlive them, you can beat them. I was like, oh, Mr. Zerby, you're so mean. But part of longevity is <laughs> at the end of the rainbow, you might win some gold balls. Who knows? But uh, it was interesting to to know that there were people still playing at 80 years old in national tournaments. I think he said his draw was 12. And I was like, you know, that has got to be the biggest reward you could ever have. Forget all the titles and Hall of Just think if you're playing at 80, how awesome that would be. That's like a trophy in itself. And in that case, I can so, see why you'd want everything to be quiet. But in today's world, are we, are we just kind of stifling the parents? Are we, are we pushing back so much? Like the cat that wants the door open, he doesn't actually want to come in. He just wants the door open. Do we give a little uh, bit with the parents thing? Why tennis? Well, I think I think I, I will have to say this from a physics standpoint. Oh, you you like that one? I knew you'd like that one. From a <laughs> physics standpoint, we as tennis players do rely on the sound of the ball more than other sports. Yeah, you know, football, you're throwing it. You you know, you see it. That's all you see. You can have all the hollering you want. That's why in baseball, uh, a foul ball is not uh, – a fair ball is not called. It's like tennis. A fair ball, you, the, the referee points in toward the, the inside the, the baseline. He doesn't holler anything. He only hollers on a foul ball. And it's because of crowd noise. So my point is, is that I can tell you now, if Sean Boyce hits a serve, I don't care how hard it is, say 110 miles, 15, 20 miles an hour, that sound is to me before the ball is. And I rely on that sound to be able to respond. I know how you hit it. I hear it. People don't give that any credit, but it's huge when you're playing to be able to hear the ball. So I'm not saying we need to stop it. Maybe I need to wear my, my AirPods and put, just put on you know noise reduction from the crowd. I don't know, you know. Well, and the, I see the the players now with the with the headphones as they come on, trying to stay in their own world, trying to block That's it right. out. And I really appreciate one of the things you did for us was teaching us how to handle that pressure. And one of the things I mention a lot is the the things that tennis does, being an individual sport, not the team sport in the same way where you just kind of follow right. the crowd and everybody else. But an individual, the ten year old that walks through, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, hi, I'm. I'm Sean, I need to check in for my tennis match. I think that's awesome. And I say that a lot, but I really do think that's really cool. But now there's so much, I, I struggle with that. Instead of battling my way through the parents to get to right. the check-in, I'm closing myself off because I'm afraid of everything. Right. And I think that's an interesting combination coming from like a guy with Tiafo who's a basketball guy. So he's used to that kind of thing. Absolutely. And maybe he likes that idea. I just don't think it's going to spread in the same way where we do have, you know, we mentioned the safe, the safe spaces and the, and the mental health challenges. Well, a lot of these people really maybe play tennis because it is a quiet, sometimes inwardly focused. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think, that's why I like it. You got to don't forget now. I did play college basketball, so I totally understand the crowd noise. You know, the one thing about college basketball is you also you also feel. Here we go again, Sean. You also feel the ball when it's being dribbled on the floor, not just with hearing it, but you feel it through your feet if you're attuned to what you're doing. And so, 
me knowing where the ball is is not only a listening thing, it's a feeling thing with the floor itself. Uh, tennis, I, you know, you don't get to feel it with the ball on the asphalt, but you do hear it. And that sound, you, we know when a ball is hit not clean. We know when I hear an, a, a mishit ball, I'm moving forward because it's usually going to be up there near the net somewhere. Whereas if the crowd is hollering, that's a, that's a lost opportunity. And I don't think, you know, your lay person who pays, <laughs> I ain't doing it, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars to sit and watch a match and holler, I don't think they understand how much they're impacting the game by hollering. You know, they think it's, oh, I'm cheery, da, 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 da. But you're, you're deafening the sound of what I need to know, and that is the sound of that ball, clean or not. And, you know, you hit a ball, you know, I'm watching these guys hit 109-mile-an-hour forehands. You think I don't want to hear the sound of that ball coming off? I know I ain't got a chance, but I got less of a chance if I don't hear that sound, you know. That makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot. Bobby, you got anything else for uh, Dave before I give him the king of tennis question? No, I love it. I always say the same thing, Dave. I, I use all of my senses when I play. I, I tell you when it's too humid outside, you know. The, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. But and, and I, it goes back to another conversation another day. I love what you've opened up. I think tennis, in its quest to become more popular, sacrificed a lot of what made it great. And, right. you know, it, it, it's that fine line in, in Mark Cuban. You know, when you watch Shark Tank, everybody always goes in there, well, if we make this check – and we make it more accessible to the masses. And Mark Cuban one time said, why would you want to do that? Keep it high priced and, you know, people will pay. You won't have the same. But and there's a lot of truth to that. You know, there, there's a, it's, it's okay to say the pros are doing it at a completely different level. You're, right. you're a recreational player. Enjoy what they're doing. But, you know, do what you can do and, and don't try to aspire, especially in today's world. These kids are bigger, faster, stronger. You're, you're, there's never been a greater distance between what's going on on television and what's going on in the park. Revel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Celebrate it. Don't, don't, don't sit there and say what's wrong. You know, I, I remember I gave a tennis etiquette class at White Comms one day, and they said, what is that? I said, what are you kidding me? I said, yep. that's part. And, you know, and, and I'm, the, I'm the, the other extreme. You know, I'm a poor kid whose dad was a longshoreman. I got into tennis because it was close to boxing. You know, my coach was able to convince my dad, well, it's boxing and he won't get beat up. And I was small. So my dad was like, all right, I like the idea. I mean, we went to the club. The club would let us play. We weren't allowed to turn on the TV. There was backgammon and there was chess. If you right. wanted, while you were waiting for a court, you were doing something because you had to realize that you weren't winning a match with your pawn. And, That's you right. know, it drives me crazy today when I see kids rifle and return of serves on faults. It's like, Put it into the net. Somebody is going to get hurt. But we gave it up. We gave away all the – I think you can make it exciting. You know, Jimmy Connors was a get a pump-up guy. But like you said, watch Connors. Connors never got pumped in the first set. He got no. pumped when he was about to – the noose was almost firmly on the guy's neck. That's he right. That's knew, right. He knew when it was ending. He was getting real close to the ending point when he got there. That's why I said it's so hard today because there is no ebb and flow to these matches because it's so all over the place. Right. Absolutely. 100, 110%. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to tell me when, you know, when there was a swing point coming up, you could tell by, you could tell by the motivation to, you know, do my thing right there, clean, effective, 
one, two, three, you're gone, bro. You're gone. Yeah. And I'm now I'm going to step on you. I'm going to give you about five or six points in a row to let you know this ain't yours. And then I'm going to run away. And I'm never going to look back. But now it's like every point, uh, you know, like I said, I'm sitting here watching Mo and Isner, and they're, they're in the fourth set. And, you know, they're close, they're close sets, but you just got to wonder, how, you know, how does that wear and tear on you? Because you know it does. Uh, it would me. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think any of us, the lay people, are. Uh, I guess we're kind of in between the lay people. We're we're considered insiders, right? We're the insiders right. in between the the professionals and the lay people. But we don't want to we don't want to have to do three out of five. That just that just doesn't sound good. Two two matches in a day. Hopefully, we can still pull off. But I think the, yeah. the typical player doesn't want to. Uh, so, Dave, I will finish us off. And I've got a question that is fun for me to ask because I, I think I should be able to predict this simply because I've, I've known you a long time as to where you'll go with this. But what I've realized is I, I can't. And, and predicting the future is hard. But in this case, if you were, we want to go with my favorite question, which is the king of tennis question, which is if you are king of tennis, and this is for either Atlanta, the United States, the whole world, the universe, for a day, however long it takes, is there anything you would do or change? We've talked about some of the USTA tournaments and some of the things we might like to see, but if you had that, if you had that magic button or that magic wand or just being king to say, this is what we're going to do, anything you would do or change in the world of tennis? Well, you know, it's kind of like we hash back, back and forth, uh, you know, about old school versus new school, which is traditional versus, uh, I call it basketball mentality, you know, around the tennis court, you know, it's very hard to go in between those. You know, you're either going to get the crowd totally involved and that that minimizes the player's effectiveness of what he hears and puts it all on what he sees. And, you know, I, I will have to say my eyesight, at, you know, at 20, 30, 40 years old was, you know, I don't know what, what their best is, but it was 2020 plus some. I mean, I could see things that, you know, I could see six, seven courts away scoreboards and people are like, how do you know the score? And I go, well, number one, I'm watching a match. Number two, I'm kind of can see that part. But, you know, I, I don't know if there's an in-between phase that we're going to, we're, we're, we're in it already, whether we like it or not, we're in it. Uh, I, I don't know what the governing bodies are going to want to do because that's going to start appealing to a different segment, not necessarily a different segment of the population, but just a different mentality of a population. And I don't know if that's what tennis was really started for, uh, invented for, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, I like the old school, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. That's why I got into tennis. I play team sports. I love team sports, but I didn't like, you know, one of my favorite movies, uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer, um, you know, Bobby Fischer, well, actually the kid's name was Josh Waitzkin. Um, he actually didn't like the side of Bobby Fischer where he was vindictive toward his opponent or yeah, hate his contempt. opponent. Contempt. Contempt. That's opponent. right. That's right. Now, I'm glad you brought that quote. Well, that I don't, that I was the exact word. I don't have that. Yeah. And. I, I I did, you know, my brother, my brother said at one time that the part of me that he did not like was that the part that if me and Sean are playing and you know me well enough, if you're serving and I'm hitting you the balls, I'm going to get that ball, those extra balls near you. So you ain't got to walk nowhere. 
And then all of a sudden you turn around and when it's my turn to serve, you're hitting them one in one corner, one in the other. I had this side of me, my brother saw it a lot to where I would go into like my dad's first sergeant kill mode. And it was a motivator. And he said that the thing he did not like about me was the fact that I had that side of me to find something I did not like in my opponent. And I would seize on that to motivate me to kill. And that put me in an area of mental and, you know, physical awareness to where I went. It's like a shark with you know, red meat in the water. You go. And, you know, we all have that. If that's what we want to do is win, we have something that we can use to trigger it. And that's what I use. But, um, you know, Josh Waitzkin said, I don't have that. And, you know, it was very, it was very poignant that I was the same way with baseball. I hated that my right fielder sucked every time he played. The ball would get hit out there, ground ball go right between his legs, and I'm in shortstop, and I can feel that sucker. And I felt so bad for that kid because he was giving it all, but he did not want to put in the time that I put in, you know, to be a shortstop. And I understood it, but I didn't like the feeling that everybody had towards him. And that's part of the reason I got out of team sports is because I was willing to do that work. I was willing to work like a madman to be up there, to be the guy. But I also hated the side of people blaming that kid. I hated it. And that's what drove me to play tennis. And I love tennis for that reason. It is an individual sport. Even when you've got, you know, like in our day, six guys on the singles team and three doubles teams were made up of those sticks. You still are an individual out there against that other opponent, singles or doubles. And that's the facet I really still enjoy, you know. And uh, to change the hearing part of it, I think, would be detrimental to the game itself. Um, I think we somehow need to turn off the, the, the uh, propellers for the parents when they come to junior tournaments. Uh, I think we, I hate to say, put a sign up, drop your kid off, let them check in and all that. But it gets done better if they do that. You know, they've all got cell phones at 10, 12 years old already. And so what's the problem, you know? So I would like to see a little more of a traditional game stay in place because I think those are the avenues that I loved about the game of tennis. And to take them away, I think, changes the dynamics of the game. And just call it something else if you want to. Here's tennis, and here's a – tennis sub-tennis or whatever tennis sub-tennis is in a part where you can honk and horn and party and all that and you know it's kind of it's kind of funny i heard zverev talking about several of the players talking about in new york where it's an open marijuana state they're smelling marijuana while they're playing and i'm like oh my god i never thought of that one but that is true it's an open state so you can do it in the park right next door and you know Ain't no deciphering where Mother Nature carries that cloud, bro. Dave, let me interject here. I grew up in New York. I associate going to my first Yankee game. There's always something I associate with a Yankee game. That's a fight and the smell oh, of yeah. marijuana. So oh, sure. that was in the 70s. I'd be like, man, we just yeah. got here. And I know. Lit up. So now that it's legal, I, I, I read the same article you did. I laughed. But I was like, well, yeah. that was every sporting event I ever went to in New York. That yeah. overwhelming pungent aroma. I was like, oh, oh sure. Wait to get here. Yeah, that's right. 
So in that case, Dave, your king of tennis is not something you would change, but it sounds like it's something you actually wouldn't change. And I can I can definitely appreciate that to say, hey, let's keep this let's keep this one on one. Let's keep this mano y mano, and uh, whatever the phrase is for women that is mano y mano. Uh, we'll we'll insert that later, I'm sure. But Dave Matthews, yeah. thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And uh, well, like I said before, we're going to get you back on with the 10 minutes of tennis for the what to do, what to change. Something we will get that you have to change is things sure. about your body uh, after 60 years old, because we just did the the 40 years old one with Justin Yeo. So, Dave, I really appreciate it. Bobby, as always, we'll see you guys next time. I'm waving, guys. Take care. You too, Bobby. Take care. Yeah. See you, Sean. Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate.com for use of the studio. And be sure to hit that follow button. For more tennis-related content, you can go to atlantatennispodcast.com. And while you're there, check out our calendar of tennis events, the best deals on Technifiber products, tennis apparel, and more. If you're a coach, director of any racket sports, or just someone who wants to utilize our online shop, contact us about setting up your own shop collection to offer your branded merchandise to the Atlanta tennis world. And with that, we're out. See you next time.